You are listening to Food, a Chicago Sustainability Series dialogue with Jonathan Scheffel, the founder of Healthy Soil Compost, Benjamin Kant, the founder and CEO of Metropolitan Farms, Costa Lapasotis, the co-founder at Harrison Quality Meats, and Ian James Anthony, apprentice, also at Harrison Quality Meats. Each dialogue is a microphilanthropic initiative, and at Food, we raised $100 for the Christmas Cheer Foundation, which feeds 700 to 1,000 people a week. Thanks to everyone at the new Life Creative Coworking Space in Fulton Market for hosting. That's Yana Nurseberg, Amanda Fernandez, Natalia Krizwicka Acosta, Anthony Berg, Heather Millay, and Sean Cannon. Thanks to John and Healthy Soil Compost for composting, and Priscilla Monsavai, Field Coordinator at Chicago Votes for conducting voter registration. Glad to partner with you both. Big thank you to Jeff Rosal for hooking up our system and making sure we were able to record day of. And finally, thanks to Drew Fredrickson of Fix My Mixes for coming through to make sure we got the right equipment and the crash course on it. To find out about upcoming dialogues, community meetings, and volunteer opportunities, go to sustainetheshy.com. All right, my name is Tomas de Medici. Thank you all for coming to the second dialogue in the Chicago Sustainability Series. This is a microphilanthropic initiative to address sustainability challenges and opportunities in Chicago and identify linkages where they may not be seen. The short, better description is everything is overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be in Chicago. Um, we are hosted at Life Creative, which is a gorgeous new co-working space in Fulton Market. Um, the majority of the stuff here you see is reclaimed, so thank you to Sean Cannon and Yana and Amanda and their whole team for hosting us. Um, there's, a canum, there's a catapult over there that they made for Groupon over by the garage door. Um, and then also I wanted to say thank you to Priscilla, who's here on behalf of Chicago Votes. Um, Priscilla, if you just want to come by and say really quickly what Chicago Votes does and why what you all do is so important. everyone. I am Priscilla. I work for Chicago Votes. I am actually a student intern. Well, I guess technically I'm an employee there. But yeah, so basically what our mission is, is to register young folks to vote. So what that means is just empowering people because um, we, we're all passionate about issues. We all have something that, that inspires us, that aspires us, that, we, that we, want to, we want to do something about, but we want to empower folks, specifically young folks and minorities, in order to register to vote and actually perform that action of voting. So thank you. Thank you. And then all proceeds today are going to the Christmas Cheer Foundation. They feed a little over, I think, 20,000 people um, around Christmas time in the area. And then that breaks out, um, in addition to that, because that's not enough, they feed about 700 to 1,000 people each week in the Chicagoland area. Um, so yeah, with all of that said, I'm gonna let our panelists start. Um, if you guys could just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started doing what you're doing. Please. We have working mics. We do. Hi, I'm uh, Benjamin Kant. I'm founder and CEO of Metropolitan Farms. Uh, we are an aquaponic urban farm located at 4250 West Chicago Avenue. If you've passed by, you've seen the big blue box with the prairie in front of it. That's us. And um, we grow year-round in a controlled environment facility. Uh, greenhouse is about 10,300 square feet. We grow several wholesale crops uh, as well as fish. 
And uh, we've been operating since October, so we're getting around to one year. And uh, we've been you know, really learning a lot, I would say, about sustainability and business in Chicago. Hello, everyone. I am Jonathan Scheffel. I go by Farmer John on the street. <laughs> I, I manage and started a curbside organic recycling program, a compost pickup service. So anybody in the city can start composting or diverting food waste from hitting a landfill. Uh, all of our waste is also picked up on bicycle and transported to an earthworm farm. The earthworm farm is called Nature's Little Recyclers, and they're processing over half a ton a day of organic waste within the city. And then all of the compost that we make is then used right back into the city to grow more food. Uh, we think it's a better model for handling waste uh, than chucking it out to a landfill. Um, you can learn more with our little brochures up there and those little bags of our uh, pure vermicasting, uh, which is really great compost. Thanks for coming. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm Coastal Apisotis. I'm the owner of Harrison Quality Meats, and we're a whole animal butcher shop in, in Oak Park. We're located in, inside of uh, Carnival Foods on 824 South Oak Park Avenue. Is that correct, Ian? Yes. Uh, and we're, we're, like I said, a whole animal butcher that sources almost exclusively from uh, local farms. It's Slagle Farms uh, located here in Illinois. I am an apprentice at that shop, uh, and you cover all of the important details. So. <laughs> that is Ian James Anthony. Ah. Um, so the reason I got this panel together is I think very common, especially for this type of audience, we hear about how there's this huge challenge of food waste or meat is this terrible thing that we're not going to be eating in 20 years or shouldn't or we're going to be growing it in labs or what have you. And these are all entrepreneurs who are addressing those challenges and they're addressing them right in Chicago. With Harrison, you guys are addressing, I mean, personally, I want steak in 40 years. I, I don't think I'm alone in that. John is addressing the fact that we have too much trash and too much food waste and we can be turning that into something. And I mean, everyone knows how much or how quickly we're running out of fish and how much of a challenge it is to get um, agriculture or just kale or any type of vegetables from another state or even downstate. So to have it right in Chicago, particularly an area that teeters and goes back and forth on being a food desert, these are all people working to really address these challenges in an immediate way. Um, the first thing. I wanted to jump into, and actually this is perfect because you all are entrepreneurs. Or entrepreneurs. What was the first day like for you? <laughs> you know, really getting this started, really saying, yeah, I'm going to do a green business because this will make me money immediately. Massive, <laughs> massive amounts. That's a great question. <laughs> I took my bicycle out and uh, the trailer and I went and picked up somebody's food waste. And when they saw me, they, uh, they handed me the bucket that they had been saving for a month of their food waste. And they were so happy to give it to me to just know that at least it's going to be going to be used somewhere else and to be recycled is really important to them. And that was a really powerful feeling to me to see how such a little Im impact could, or a large impact could happen from just a simple 
decision to go and help them out? Um, I guess I'd say ours was, was kind of similar. I, I mean, we um, sort of were part of a transition from an existing business being sold, and, and we, we uh, came in and partnered with the, with the uh, team moving in, I guess. And, uh, you know, we came into this cooler and freezer just full of the saddest looking T-bones and, uh, you, you know, just the, the, the pale, bland looking chickens that I'd ever seen. And uh, the first time we had a customer like walk through our counter and, uh, and just seeing the two steaks next to each other, uh, you know, from this like light pink, pale piece of meat to this deep red, well-marbled, uh, you know, farm-raised, butchered in-house steak. Uh, I don't know. You, you you see a look in somebody's eyes that's just like recognition and appreciation, and uh, hopefully they're able to look past the price point. What about yourself? Um, well, that's a good question. I think I think uh, my answer is that I, I've had many first days, and. The start of my business was excitement and idealism, and um, it sort of crystallized to brutal reality. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think that adaptability and commitment—we've made our way through it. But it's—it's uh, it's really a phenomenal process when you think that you can go into business uh, having to build your business from the ground up, as people have done here. You know, when I started off, I was designing a greenhouse and having plumbers come and ask me how long the, uh, you know, the length of piping should be, and I just had no idea what that guy was talking about. <laughs> long enough. <laughs> long enough so they work. Mm, yes. I think what you all are touching upon, and especially with building a sustainable business, is there is that recognition and there is that want already in the market, at least within Chicago. Um, I can't really speak to other cities, but we're really fortunate in that as soon as you were putting meat out, people are like, oh yeah, that looks amazing. You already had people coming. It sounds like it was pretty easy for you to find someone who was willing to just stock up on food waste for a month in anticipation of you. And Ben, not to piggyback back on, on you, but I'm curious what it was like, how, how, how you chose that location and what the reception and engagement has been like in the community. Uh, well, um, at first when we put all the metal out there, we had a lot of pickup trucks stopping by, taking a look. Um, <laughs> I think that it's, it's been a, uh, a great transformation of a property that was neglected for a long time. Um, this, we're right next to a manufacturing district, which is kitty corner with a residential neighborhood. It's a strange uh, little corner we're in. And people are curious. They are. Uh, and, and the whole rub is that we're a very small crew. We had about four people out there. So our, our uh, public relations bureau was stretched thin as it was. And um, what we do in the greenhouse is we use aquaponics. So the fish are in a recirculating system with uh, crops growing in hydroponics. And uh, I have to say one of my true pleasures is to bring someone into the greenhouse who obviously you know, has had very little experience working with plants. And they, their eyes get wide and they say, you can grow plants in water? I'm like, oh yeah, just you wait. <laughs> I've got more magic up my sleeve. So um, uh, you can grow fish that way too, right? Oh, fish in water too, and you know it's the fish out of the water that's the problem. And uh, it's the curiosity has has been uh, has been there. But I think over time people got used to us, 
And uh, you know, we don't really get too many curious people through anymore. But at this point, we're really working through farmers markets um, to to further our influence uh, in the in the community. And I think that farmers markets and the popularity of them and the development of the structures to support farmers markets uh, are hugely important because they bridge a gap um, that is widely apparent in supermarkets. So, yeah. So that actually did. Agreeing. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that perfectly. Sets up both y'all. Um, Gosa, if you could speak to within the supermarket already, working with kind of an existing building and the challenges and opportunities of that, working with an existing refrigerator, mm -hmm. and then how have you worked with customer expectations and that education? And then, John, I really want your opinion on that since you're just going all over the city, like 30, 40 miles a day. Um, well, I don't know if, if Ian might uh, have more to say about this than I might, but I know just so much of it is just about talking to people because everyone, you know, just to, it's just like what Ben said, everybody is curious and everybody wants to know. Everybody's curious, but everybody's also kind of confused because, you know, we used to have people, especially when we first started, people would come in and say a lot of times like, well, this says natural pork. Isn't all meat natural? Like, and it's a process of educating people on what that word means, what it means to us to put that on there, and uh, and and you know what it might mean to other places that use it a little more um, loosely, I guess. Uh, but but you do have that um, element of just consumer education and interaction and and. Uh, Probably the most important part of it is, is maintaining that as a dialogue and maintaining that as a back and forth that uh, lets you know that lets you learn what the customer wants as much as you teach them what you're offering. And I was fortunate to have sort of a unique experience uh, in relation to the butcher shop because I had worked in the grocery shop that we're based out of for about two years prior just as a stock boy, delivery driver, what have you. Um, so Costa was absolutely not kidding when he said the old meat was, like it, it was just brought in in bags and sort of put in trays and thrown out there and you don't, it, uh, it just, it, it did not look very good. So to be able to now talk to these customers that had been coming into my grocery store for the past two years, you know by name, about where the meat is coming from and how it's raised, how we take it apart, has, has, it's been fantastic to be able to have that information available, and people have been very, very receptive to it. So it's. You still sell them? No, we got no. <laughs> 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 composted it. We have a conscience. We can't keep that stuff around. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great. We're all kind of similar with uh, getting interactions with people. And uh, education is really the main thing. I guess that's why we're all here to. Um, we're kind of re-educating what food is and what uh, good food is and what to do with old food or uh, the whole reason I choose to be bicycle powered is for the interaction also to bring a really quick way for people to question what I'm doing and then I get to say well I'm picking up food waste did you know food waste can be recycled and a lot of people say no and uh, they get disconnected with that even though a lot of us learned it uh, at a young age about the carbon cycle, but when you're in the city, you don't get to see those natural processes happening. 
So me just being on a bicycle and being this sore thumb in the street with a huge trailer, uh, they're like, what are you doing? Why? And I'm like, well, look, in here, it's, it's energy, and I have, I'm carting it around on my back. So now I get to really know what it's like to have energy around me. And, uh, and then I think it gets people thinking about, well, I, I've noticed that a lot of people are thinking a little more about it every time we interact. Um, but it's really, it seems like all of our groups, it's all about the interaction with, uh, with people and bringing it back into someone's mind about what we're doing. Well, I think with food as an industry, and I've worked in food service before, I think more than water, I think more than energy or the built environment, this is where individual choice matters the most, whether that's on the corporate level, making sure you've hired enough people to enact all the wonderful policies you have on paper to make sure that you have enough people addressing customer needs so people can actually do what they're supposed to be doing, or even just having enough new people or having a fresh eye to say, okay, I know you're able to get your paycheck by selling that rancid, crummy meat over there, but we can do something better. And I think especially as entrepreneurs and, and, and so close to this and the fact that these are all such young businesses, that choice, I'd imagine, is present really every single minute. Um, building off that, I'd love to get your all's thoughts on what do you wish more Chicagoans knew about food? Um, you know, through your business, whether that's meat, composting, or energy on your back, or tilapia and kale. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, e easy one for me, talking to all of my old customers. Uh, they, they come in and, and they're, well, used to, less of a problem now, would be surprised that there is only one skirt steak because there's just the, you know, the one cut on the cow. And, and then they, they have to think, oh, well, yeah, like this is actually coming from a thing and there's a, there's a set number of cuts of a particular meat you know, on, on a cow. Uh, so it, it's been interesting to sort of, it, there's a dialogue there that you can then have. You can suggest alternate cuts and I, I just feel a little bit more connected than like, oh, we're out of it. And you know, which is like <laughs> basically all we would be able to say beforehand. Uh, but now, now that I know a little bit more as an apprentice, I can sort of suggest different things. And it's cool to see people see it click that people realize that what they're getting is coming from something, something real that's right back there. So, and uh, I guess just being yes, same thing connected to where something is coming from. Um, in the city, we go to the grocery store to buy the food, but if you can see the food growing. Uh, you have a little better connection with what it actually is that you're buying at the grocery store. If you go to the farmer's markets and talk to farmers and notice that it's a, they work really hard to bring food to you, uh, then it gives you, it gives me uh, more of a, a reason to choose the pricier uh, but more local and helping somebody's small business or just business because they're working for you in the local community. And it, uh, food can stimulate every part of the economy within the local area uh, from the processing the food to the growing the food to the uh, collecting the waste and putting it right back to the farmer and uh, connecting. Well, you've given me some good time to think, so I have two things. <laughs> two things. Um, value and packaging. Uh, first off, value. The food that I grow or is available at the butcher here, it may be more expensive 
but it's a better value. Not only because it's better tasting, because the money stays in the local economy, um, but also because there are intrinsic uh, value points that are hard to illustrate. And um, I think that for my product, it's shelf life. You know, um, you can buy uh, uh, some of my basil and it'll last for a week and a half, two weeks. You get it from the supermarket, you got a couple days. Uh, I'm also able to pr provide a larger package size than the, uh, than the uh, average package size for the cost that we charge. So that makes, uh, brings me on to packaging itself. And uh, plastic, 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 it's, it's unbelievable. And I'm going to give you a wonderful example. Um, we've been having to move up the value chain. Uh, that means more value-added products, additional packaging, in order to charge more per unit. Um, we charge uh, retail uh, $3 for a one-ounce package of basil. That's an average price. In fact, uh, in the supermarket, it's usually 0.75 ounces, so we give you a little better value there. Uh, now, there are 16 ounces in a pound, right? $3 per ounce. If we have too much basil, if we have a bumper crop, we end up selling it to uh, the supermarket in bulk. It's the same exact product in bulk. They pay $3.50 a pound. So it's one ounce. And all it is is packaging, a bit of plastic, and a label. So there you go. <laughs> Something to think about. I've, right now, I'm, I'm in a grocery store. And it's pretty remarkable, the bumper you were talking about, when you know, if corporate makes too much of something, they're just going to fill the stores with XYZ product, kind of regardless of level of interest or whether or not people are going to buy it. And John, I'd love to get your take on this. I mean, so you're going throughout the city looking at food waste where people are kind of already inclined to say, yes, please turn this into something better. You know, they already have that conscious, that awareness. Can you talk about how you see the challenge with grocery stores, large scale food producers? and their waste, kind of the lessons you've seen on the ground. Yeah, and uh, for composting too, uh, it's, you'll see a uh, upside down triangle, just the opposite of a food pyramid, and composting is the second to last step of food waste, whereas the last step would be landfill. So um, before composting, there's feeding humans and feeding animals. So food waste from a grocery store, I, I get a lot of questions about it just because of the industry I'm in, but I'm more interested in the rotting food that's non-edible anymore, and you, we don't have the farms to feed it to the pigs or the chickens. So I try to advocate for people that question me about food that's still in the package or still edible to look for other sources. So there's other great groups that are uh, like 0% is one that will go around and help logistically collect these food items from restaurants and try to resource them or distribute them. There's another good group called uh, the Urban Canopy, and they, they purchase food from wholesale food distributors and then uh, redistribute it to uh, members in the community that might want to pay a little bit less for blemish food or uh, some food that's past the prime. So I'm really the last step. And I try to tell people that not to give me uh, really good bread or that they just don't want anymore or like a bunch of bananas. Because in my industry, too, when you tell people you take food waste, you might get called for a, a whole pallet of 
blueberries that only some of them are going moldy and and I don't want to I want to try to put that in somebody that can make something with it or um, so there's different steps and where the end where the the ground floor of it I think Kostani and if you all could talk about your farmer relationships and how you've picked your suppliers and then how those relationships have evolved over over time uh, well, Slagle, we kind of uh, lucked into a, rela a relationship with them just from knowing them from before. Um, they're in Illinois, right? They're in Illinois. They're okay. in uh, Fairbury, Illinois. It's kind of like halfway between here and Champaign. Um, but but we, we looked around a lot, you know, when we were first going um, to find some other sources for maybe beef that's 100% grass-fed, for instance, or uh, some farms that are just a little bit closer. And uh, the thing that I like about Slagle Farms is um, that they're they're a comprehensive farm. You know, they they have a variety of, a, a big variety of, like, the products that they offer. And, um, you know, even as they scale up and, you know, you kind of question... Uh, whether or not it'd be better to work with maybe a smaller farm, we also have to have uh, consistent supply for our consumer. And uh, which animals are, or what uh, what cuts do you get from them? We get a uh, side of beef almost every week, and we get a okay. whole pig every week. Uh, we'll often get chickens from them, although we tend to work with some other uh, suppliers for chickens. But sometimes we'll get whole chickens. Uh, we've gotten duck eggs for customers special. Uh, we have a lamb that I get to teach Ian how to butcher on Saturday. Uh, and we've gotten goats. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Rabbits. They, they kind of do a full line. They've, they supply us with all of our eggs that we use in any recipes mm -hmm. as well. They supply us with the eggs for our meatballs and crab cakes. And uh, they've offered boar a lot, but we haven't quite come around to buying a boar. And I really want one, but... If I'm everyone's caught up on Game of Thrones, there's a reason to be afraid of boar. So <laughs> that's fair. We actually, uh, uh, they, uh, when I was not there, Ian and uh, my partner Ben came up with a Robert's Revenge boar burger uh, from <laughs> Game of Thrones. That's so, amazing. Uh, but that's, uh, I, I like the, the, you know, and then there's, the, the thing about like choosing a farm like Slagle or anyone else, there's there's a bevy of farms throughout Illinois, throughout like Chicagoland and and the the nearby areas that have wonderful products and that have a great variety. But I think that's what you want to look for more than anything is is variety because a farmer, you know, uh, a word that you hear a lot in sustainability and especially in agriculture circles, and you hear it more with plants than with animals, but it's monoculture, where you have large fields planted just one plant. And the lack of diversity uh, creates, you know, susceptibility to, you know, all kinds of um, insects, uh, diseases, uh, all, all, you know, just all sorts of issues. Um, but it also mines the soil of one nutrient without replenishing others. Some plants replenish nitrates, nitrates and nitrogen. Some plants take it away. So when you just have a plant that takes away nitrogen, then that's when you have to start applying you know, petroleum-based fertilizers, which you apply using tractors that burn fuel. And you get into this whole cycle of uh, you know, um, non-renewable inputs. But when you have a diversity of... Um, 
whether it's animals or plants, or in the case of a lot of farms uh, in Illinois, the smaller farms that I like to work with, plants and animals, because, you know, like, like Ben has a, 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 um, a Metro Farms with the fish and the plants growing in the same water. It's an ecosystem that feeds and sustains and nourishes itself. And so when you see a farm that has a large diversity of products, uh, I mean, number one, you know that they don't have too many of any one, right? So they're taking a little extra care with all of them. But you know that, you know, the types of nutrients that pig manure puts into your soil versus beef manure versus chicken manure, which if you've ever been through a chicken coop, smells like just pure Windex. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know that you're, you're, you're uh, replenishing a diversity of, of, of um, a breadth of, of nutrients rather than, you know, a depth. So this is something that I'm very aware of, um, both within the first one and, and just kind of is going to be something that's going to happen in the future dialogues. Curious from where you all are, what are the buzzwords that are being used too much, um, both on, like, that we're all guilty of, and then kind of as you're seeing consumers start coming and saying, like, oh, where is, is this grass-fed or, you know, X, Y, Z? Organic. <laughs> um, and why? Well... <laughs> Uh, we are an atypical grower, so uh, organic is a very uh, bureaucratic system that we don't quite fit into and have chosen not to go down the organic path. Um, and it does not mean that our product is not as good as an organic product. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I, you know, well, I think, I think myself <laughs> This the is best, your soap. So. <laughs> right, right, but we ended up going with a, a, a smaller third-party certification called Certified Naturally Grown. Okay. And uh, that's a certification which is uh, pretty much run by farmers. Farmers inspect other farmers. Uh, farmers you know, who are field farmers might come and inspect me. I might go and inspect a field farmer. But they do try to have put apples with apples when possible. And uh, it, it was a third-party certification really developed for those that didn't fit the mold, uh, mold like apiaries, uh, aquaculture farms, aquaponics farms. So organic is a doozy. Uh, well, what's what's the what's the mold that you know can be so constrained or you know may benefit a group of uh, producers that already have certain infrastructure? Or what is it about it that can mm -hmm. can be a challenge? Because I certainly, st when I shop, I'm still first and foremost looking for organic mm -hmm. um, before any other buzzwords. Yeah, and it's not it's not bad. It certainly isn't. I I try to buy organic milk. Um, you know, certainly. The uh, rub comes in with, with uh, new technologies and okay. also combining systems. So with us, uh, it's really the aquaculture side of things that provides uh, the, the, the hitch um, because the fish are fed with feed, commercial feed, which is not organic. And in fact, buying organic fish feed would be financially uh, impossible. It's just too expensive. Um, you know, but at the same time, we do buy the best fish feed that we can. So that's basically beyond our control. It's a, in, almost an a, uh, input commodity uh, that makes it very difficult to, to have our crop 
uh, be labeled then as, as organic because it goes all the way down the chain. Uh, another issue I know is uh, hydroponics, pure hydroponics, not aquaponics. Um, you know, they're also bumping into trouble because uh, they used mined and manufactured nutrients, uh, which are also hard to label organic. Uh, so there's that, and uh, I'd also like to say tilapia, give them a try, they're not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I eat them all the time. <laughs> For my industry, it'd be trash, because um, or compostable, like uh, bioplastics. Uh, a lot of people have, or a lot of new technologies have come out that are called uh, biodegradable or compostable or oxydegradable. There's a lot of terms that kind of uh, get mixed together into one, but uh, they're not necessarily compostable. They're not necessarily uh, nutrients to be putting into your compost pile, and so. That's something that I run into a lot, especially with events. Um, it's, it's a good step towards uh, not having plastic, um, but it is uh, still a lot of companies trying to greenwash. Like, um, you define greenwashing? Uh, so greenwashing, I guess, would just be uh, jumping on board with a brand, uh, with a branding uh, to try to sell more of the product for that hype of the time. So if everybody's saying compostable plastics or... Uh, then they could just put it on their label um, when the technology or hasn't been proven or the, there's not enough research behind it. Or there um, could be, I'd, I'd imagine there could be a lot of fine print where it's compostable if you put it in this type of right. soil and yeah. it's this type of environment and et cetera. Yeah, ex exactly. I, I just read, uh, uh, it was free range chicken but it had an asterisk and it, looked, it said raised in a barn. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Or cage-free. Free to roam in barns is yeah, what the asterisks usually say. That was too long so. for a hashtag. So. <laughs> and then trash, I guess, because uh, not many things are trash and uh, end products. They're always, uh, if you're creative, you can see uh, a product as being a useful input to another um, business, uh, such as mine, or uh, a lot of things can be recycled. Um, I, don't, I, I don't like to... Um jump too much on any of the buzzwords. I, I, I think the, the you know, uh, free to roam in barn is certainly uh, a huge, uh, like an immeasurable improvement for a chicken's life, like over caged, you know, um, even if it's not amazing or it's not the best or it's not. Um, but, you know, for the majority of the people out there, the choices like organic or local or actually free range chickens or, you know, purely outdoor... You can't raise chickens purely outdoors 365 days a year in Illinois. Uh, so if you're bringing that up from Texas, uh, you know, Vital Farms is a wonderful farm. But if you're trucking those up from Texas, you've kind of wiped out a lot of your uh, sustainability that way. Um, I don't know, but I, I don't like to... Because they're going to be transported in cages, or because they're going to have like a first-class flight. And <laughs> because of the, I, I think mostly about the, like the fuel used for transportation okay. more than anything. You're the the chickens being uh, butchered in Texas, probably <laughs> so uh, on the farm. So they're okay or not. Um, I, but like you know, I think organic is generally better than not organic. Grass-fed beef, which I don't like to eat grass-fed beef because I don't like the flavor, but it's generally better than non-grass-fed. I, I think that the issue is when people get wrapped up in if it's not organic, that must mean it's not okay. And I don't think that I've ever seen any certification that 
you know, comes anywhere close to being so perfect that if it's not, you know, if, uh, you know, if there was some GMO corn in the fish feed, it's not the end of the world for any of us. Uh, uh, and, and I think when people get too hung up on any word, that's where it gets into trouble. The one I would say, though, that I really am sick of hearing in, uh, in, in meat especially is any brand name that ends with farms. Uh, because if you like look up the address for any of these uh, uh, brands that have farms at the end of them, uh, and I know I'm saying I have Slagle Farms meats at my place, <laughs> but uh, a lot of these a lot of these are you know either subsidiaries of like say a Tyson or a Cargill, and they're a natural label. They're not a farm, and if you look up the address, it is a giant complex packing facility that usually has some very densely packed feedlots outside of it. I don't, per, you know, I have my own, <laughs> that's how I grew up, you know, more or less. So I, but that's not what, uh, that's not the image that people are putting across. And that, that's the one that bothers me more than anything, especially when you go to like a larger grocery, you know, most people are making their decisions at a, a Jewel or a Costco or a larger, you know, they don't have the luxury of coming to a place like us. And, uh, you know, when I go to do a jewel and I see, you know, whatever, Sunny Vale Farms chickens, you know, they don't say cage-free or anything. They're, they're the same product with a different label. It, it's greenwashing to the extreme. And it's local washing. And it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what... I don't have to come up with a term for that. We can hashtag. Yeah. And what about you, Ian? Um, well... There's, there's not a specific buzzword that I would call out, um, but I actually am glad you mentioned that you are not necessarily a fan of grass-fed beef because I feel like a lot of people do come into the butcher shop uh, or just shop with this impression that grass-fed automatically is just a better thing uh, when it's, it, in fact, a different thing. What you feed the animal is, is going to influence the amount of fat on it, and then d that directly influences what, what the flavor profile is going to be like. So I think understanding what those terms specifically mean in relation to what you like as a food is also very important when it comes to meat. I think what you all are touching upon, and I really there's a couple things. One, everything about food is changing right now. There's a Chicago startup that has this little like red tennis ball that extends the shelf life of food by releasing extra um, ethylene or polyethylene um, in the storage container. So you can get an extra like week or two out of the food. This is wonderful for transport. Um, but the definition of what is food is changing faster than the branding. There's a startup, I think they're out of California or New York, and they are messing with lab-grown meat, just taking like a single cell. There is that, um, there's a company Beyond Meat, and their thing is, we have veggie burgers that bleed, so it looks like meat because, you know, if you don't have meat that bleeds, where's your masculinity? Um, and that's, you know, very smart of them to have that branding. Um, it, there's Soylent, which is just um, those Jenny Craig shakes for men. But, like, it, you know, even the definition of what a farm is and where you can put one has changed. Um, you know, in some cases, wonderfully. In other cases, it's subjective. Um, but the other thing, and we can go into Q&A in a minute, but about GMOs, I was, I was talking to someone about this um, in preparing for this dialogue. And they're like, oh, do you, do, do you have... Are you against GMOs or this? That? And I said, personally, I don't, I try not to buy GMOs. But I'm also a 20-something 
white presenting Latino who has a college degree, so my opinion about GMOs should only impact me because there's millions of people around the world that don't give a fuck, they need food. Um, and so I think that's something you guys have also been touching upon how there's a lot of different audiences about where food is going and there can be an instinct to take that and say, oh, well, if I'm in XYZ environment and my expectations are on food are this, they must be that for the overall market. That's a lot. I'm going to let one of you go now. Who's the question? <laughs> um, yeah. That was more a diatribe. So the, the last question, and then I want to go to Q&A. You now have all the goodwill of Chance the Rapper, and you have all the money of the Pritzkers, okay? And plus all the goodwill of Derrick Rose like four years ago before he was broken. <laughs> What do you change about food in Illinois, in Chicago? Now, that can be in your industry or just in general. Uh, I know. The, the, what, what I would actually do is I would uh, give a lot more money and power and uh, change laws to make it easier for guys like these two um, because, you know, like, if, uh, there's so much that we can be doing within Chicago, within the city. You can produce a lot of food without having to go to the middle of the state or downstate or, you know, Nebraska where I'm from. And so, you know, so much food gets shipped in, f you know, from there. Um, there's no reason, you know, a lot, so much of the land, like, like, you know, just right outside the city in the suburbs, you drive through and it, you, you know it was farmland like 15 or 20 years ago. And, as that becomes housing tracts, you know, that's just pushing the food chain. It's, it's, it's stretching the food chain farther and farther away. And I think that's such a backwards way of doing things. And, and I like what these guys are doing um, and, and uh, with, you know, shortening that chain. Anything that can shorten the food chain, uh, you know, I, I would put endless resources behind. And that includes... Uh, uh, incorporating food waste into food production. You know, that includes, uh, uh, you know, getting spoiled food that can be used as feed for animals, uh, getting, like, way spoiled food that's compost, you know, you know working that in, um, it's hard, and it's expensive, and it takes time, and it takes people, and it takes labor. But if I had, you know, unlimited resources, I mean, I, I would love to put them behind, you know, creating just... More of a closed loop, which is, I suppose, an appropriate term for this city. Uh, yeah. yeah. And to, to build off that, when we first got here and we were speaking before the panel, you were both saying that there specifically at this point are no built-in incentives, either through government, any sort of subsidiaries, for you to practice like a lot, of, like, a lot more sustainable practices, basically. Um, so I, I think programs like that would be a fantastic place to start because uh, if it's the right thing to do but it doesn't make business sense maybe the business sense is the problem and we need to kind of rework that system so the right thing to do is is also incentivized like there should be money in that too ideally so yeah, that's a great point, uh, to try to put value back into doing uh, the right thing so that businesses choose to do that and then consumers choose and everybody's choosing to uh, to do something that's right because it's also helping them economically. Uh, also, uh, the same thing that you were mentioning is kind of creating inner networks of communication between businesses and consumers so that uh, resources can then be used 
uh, more properly instead of having to go out to somewhere out there because um, now it can be used within because there's uh, each specialized area that can do that within each system so then you get these regional networks more like a, a, a biological sense of uh, business and um, cities so I'd try to put I don't think money is going to really do it it's more of just education and uh, relearning that these micro cities are the best rather than one city doing everything for the all the other cities <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of call for civic engagement so Again, if you're not registered to vote right now, Priscilla <laughs> has voter registration. Um, this is, I mean, honestly, voter, voter uh, regimen voting is the most impactful thing we can be doing right now. Oh, uh, well, I'm on, I'm on board with the change the, the bureaucracy and way of thinking bandwagon. You know, it <laughs> yeah. took us uh, eight months to get a building permit to build a greenhouse. Uh, in the meantime, I had invested all of my money, and it was sitting there on a lot empty while I was waiting for the guy in City Hall to stamp my plans. Um, and it didn't stop there because, uh, you know, when the electrical inspector came through, we had to replace all of our exit signs, and that was $7,000. So, you know, it's it, it just a, li a little bit of leeway from the city would go a long way. I would say that the city of Chicago has been a bigger hindrance than 100-degree days, which mm. is unfortunate, but is true, and the reason why there aren't more metropolitan farms around um, and you know I think just due to tenacity we and, and cleverness and you know we had to be a little sneaky here and there but we, we made it through it's Chicago yeah and you know I, I also uh, think that these food networks are just fantastic and I see them erupting in, in the farmers market I see them in get-togethers you know there are more and more urban farmers and more people that care about food and guess get us all together, you know, and that's, that's how things have been happening is, is just, you know, I found out <laughs> just when we were talking that, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, the mush our mushroom friend, right. you know, Bell, the farmer at the plant, we, we both work with him and like, we didn't know this. So, uh, just like that, we found out. And I would also say one last thing is, uh, make bad food harder to get more expensive, tax it. You know, <laughs> tax the soda, tax the cheap cheeseburgers, um, get the good stuff, you know, uh, and everybody will be healthier in the long run. Eat more vegetables, uh, which means make more vegetables. Yeah. Cool. Um, thank you again, Torpan. Ian and Costa, are you guys able to stick around for a few, or do you have to run? We got time. All right. Love to open it up to Q&A. Um, only hard uh, questions, please. Yeah, bring them on. On your point about the city sort of slowing down the process, um, was it because they just, is it just, you know, just plain old stupid bureaucracy or was it because what you were doing was different and that just freaks them out and they just can't deal with that or, you know, or was it just plain old government as a slow, dumb thing? Right. And there's also the, the fourth one, which people always bring up, which is why didn't you pay someone off? Right. This is Chicago, after all, right? Because all your money was already sitting there. Exactly. Yeah, right? I, I say, I just didn't know who to pay. Um, well, to answer your question, uh, it was like a hot potato. No one wanted to, to hold on to it. So um, we couldn't get an okay 
from the water uh, folks until the engineers gave us okay. The engineers didn't want to give us an okay until the parking people said it was okay. Parking people didn't want to say it was okay until stormwater runoff said it was okay. And so we're going to meeting after meeting and we're getting farther and farther away. And you know, you're sitting down with people and they're looking at you like, what, what the heck are you talking about? You know, you're, you're, how does a farm work? You know, go talk to someone, someone else. So, you know, and I get it because if it, if it turns bad and, and, you know, it's an unknown to them, then it's on them. So uh, I have to say, I, I would just say that it was a pass, pass, uh, pass the buck mentality. And um, there was not an established uh, path to, to go down. Uh, the way we ended up getting the building permit was that I sat in the Department of Zoning with my architect day after day staring at the uh, buildings people. And eventually they, they just got tired of us and stamped our thing. <laughs> and that's how it happened. That's how it happened. Our, our building permit application was actually deleted from the computer because it was in limbo for too long, and so they just stamped it just by hand, the old-fashioned way. <laughs> I know I've found, like, uh, you know, in our business, too, like, we, uh, we, we do have, like, a lot of... And anytime you do any, anything sort of, you know, semi-innovative or, or different from what people are used to, they, any, I worked for a, at a Salumi maker for a while, and uh, I remember, like, the, there was a USDA-inspected plant, and the inspector would come in every day, and he would ask all these questions, and he'd come in every day and ask the same questions, and he didn't seem to understand. And, and finally, he was asking for a sample, and we said, well, what, do you want a sample of this meat or this meat or the Salumi? And he says, what's Salumi? They, they don't, you know, they're not always educated on, on a new model, and that's, that's why it's called a disruptive technology, you know, and, and it's... Uh, what is it? Huh? Salumi? It's yeah. any salami, salami, charcuterie, any sort of dried and cured meats. But uh, you, you would expect a USDA meat plant inspector to know about dried and cured meats. Um, but, you know, something like aquaponics, which is... Uh, especially in a city, it's just like Ben said. It's them taking a chance, but but yeah, it, it's things that they don't understand. They're it's it's easier to just put on hold or you know um, make uh, make it difficult than it is to put your name on it being okay. I've worked at an aquaponic farm also, and uh, we thought it was the first licensed one in the city. And when the inspector came to license uh, the farm, he didn't know that you could grow plants in fish water. And he thought it was uh, really gross, actually, because <laughs> the fish's waste is in the water with the plants. Uh, so it's a lot of education of these people that are giving us the, that we're waiting for them to give us right the inspection, but they don't even know what they're inspecting. So yeah, and the, the, ven the ventilation guy, he thought it was great. The electric guy didn't like it as much. And <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's funny because you never know what, you, what you're going to get. And I would also make a final comment on just the power of money. Um, like Gotham Greens, they just 
plowed right in, set up shop in Pullman. Um, like I remember we started building about when I first read the, first, the press release that they were getting started, and they finished around the same time as we did, and their greenhouse is bigger, and it's on top of a building. And, uh, you know, we had a professional crew. You know, I'm sure that they had a big crew, too. But they also brought millions of dollars with them and got tax breaks from, from uh, the city government, uh, none of which we even got to, you know, talk to anybody about. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, money, money, money. Any other questions? So when I think about uh, in Chicago with clean energy, and there's like clean tech innovation and other groups that are coming together around energy, um, and I so providing you know a way for people across the producers, the innovators, the regulators, you know all of that all coming together to have dialogues. Um, is there anything like that happening yet in Chicago for food? Other than this conversation tonight. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot uh, going on. There's some really big groups like the Advocates for Urban Agriculture. And um, well, that's a really large group in the city. And they bring a lot of groups together that are growing food or processing food or the markets. Um, the farmers markets also communicate. Like um, Ben was saying it's a it's a small community of people dealing with food, even though it's a big city. And so there's tons of events always happening with people of all different types of agriculture or dealing with food, getting together and talking like this uh, over food and drinks and uh, sharing just ideas and a lot to do about policy because a lot of the stuff that's happening is kind of innovative or new, or it's bringing back technologies that used to be here when Chicago was started. I'll, I'll chime in um, and maybe take a little bit of a, the other perspective is that, at least in my industry of um, controlled environment agriculture, indoor farming, whatever you call it, uh, I've heard it a really good ex explanation of, of what's happening in the space right now in that it's a black box mentality. So margins are so slim and uh, production techniques and technologies are working ones anyway, are uh, so coveted, I guess, and secret and, and people don't want to share because they don't see anything to gain from it. And uh, you know, I, I totally understand that. I've worked hard to build my system to fine tune it. I've worked on it for years. And uh, you know, there's no reason I should let someone in and just copy everything I've done. Uh, but it's also unfortunate because you have people that are reinventing the wheel and doing work that's already been done over and over again. So how to, how to get that playing field? It's more happening, I think, with soil growers right, and right. farmers that uh, it's not a, uh, it's hard work, so it's not something that you have to hide. Mm -hmm. So they're more sharing. But I see that, too, with indoor farming or hydroponics, aquaponics. It's mm -hmm. a lot of secrecy because it's all about the branding then, and it's about this underground business that they have to sell and not give out the secret because they're competing. Yes. We're competing, or outdoor farmers are competing with the environment more, so they share ideas and how to cope with yeah. all that. We, we sort of replace that battle with plastics and metals and all kinds of yes. <laughs> technology. <laughs> Gentlemen, want to bring us home? 
Oh, on, on cooperation efforts? I don't know. Butchers are pretty grouchy and don't tend to work well with others, so... I don't, I don't, I don't know much about anything going on on, on there. Um, Maybe with the farms? Uh, farmers are not... Farmers are, are... They're not too grouchy, but they tend to be pretty quiet and stoic, and, and, and they, don't, they don't like to share much either. Um, but I, I think... What it comes down to is is just just what Ben said is that margins are slim throughout you know and that's all food you know all food you know the, your 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 highest you know performing restaurants have like tiny margins uh, farmers have small margins my you know my folks raise cattle and they've lost money for a year and a half. Uh, my uncle raises corn. He's made money for a year and a half. Uh, but, you know, that, that goes back and forth. And, you know, the packing plants, their margins are slim. Uh, and, and anyone who doesn't operate at huge volume is, you know, coveting market share and coveting sales. Um, and especially in, like, fields, you know, like, we're a specialty whole animal butcher shop. We can't just, you know we're not going to just have everybody switch over to our model tomorrow um, until our prices are in line with, you know, industrial uh, types of food. So, um, yeah, you'd, you'd, I'd kind of agree more with Ben that you you don't see it happening a lot. And um, I know that there's like, you know, everybody wants to, but you you kind of have to figure out a way where, you know, this is where all that, you know, all that Pritzker money comes in is, you know, get everybody together and, you know, find a way to protect people's livelihoods. Uh, and I think, you know, it, having a, a sharing of ideas and, and, uh, and techniques and, you know, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, 10 farms like Ben's throughout Chicago. Uh, I'm sure you'd just like to see one big one. But, uh, <laughs> you know... You'd like to see them all owned by him, is what you're saying. I, hey, 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 man, I'm not in that game. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd like to see, um, you know, farms like that pop up in, you know, suburbs. I'd like to see farms like that pop up in medium-sized and smaller cities. Um, I'd like to see that model shared. Um, but I don't want to see that model shared... Uh, well, you know, Ben's eating, you know, his bumper crop of basil because that's all he can, you know, afford either. So, so to find some way, I don't know if it's, um, uh, I, I don't know what the solution is, a cooperative or what, but to find some way where everyone can protect their livelihood and share the knowledge and things that they've learned. And, you know, that, that, that would create a, um, a, a unified set of voices a com yeah, community, like I said, butchers. You know, we gotta pretend we're that tough. Runs on us. Don't want to throw that community word, but but a, a a unified voice that helps us change the you know bureaucratic system and helps us change the you know received wisdom about what is um, what food is and should be, and you know what how important of a place it holds in all of our lives. Bring us home, Ian. All night. Jeez, yeah, that was, that was the perfect line. Um, I mean, it, I, I do agree. I want to see 
more little in the same way that it would be nice to see little farms pop up in suburbs and just more of them in urban areas, more little butcher shops would be fantastic because there, there, there is a level of service that you're going to get when you're talking to the guy that's actually taking the cow apart, that's going to take all of your steaks out, all of your ground beef out, uh, that you're just not going to be able to get from any anywhere bigger. Um, so, yeah, start working together. I just want to jump in and say I know I've, I I kind of sat on Chicago there, but I I would like to say that I don't I don't think that that we could have made it outside of the city. Um, there's an aquaponic grower who's keeps trying to get me on the phone. They're located out in the country and and they just cannot get the uh, sales that they need. Uh, and and operating a facility, aquaponic controlled envir environment facility, is expensive, and. The Chicago market is beautiful. Uh, you know, people are receptive to us. I, I think that the people are more knowledgeable than they than they have been, and are more eager to support local farms than than ever before. And without that, uh, I wouldn't be here now. So I have to I have to give it to to the city for that. That's that's a good note to end on. So what I'm hearing is vote, talk to people, and if you can, and are able to buy sustainable food that helps kind of move the needle so more people become aware of its validity and the fact that it works economically. So thank you to Ian James Anthony, Costa Lapasotis, Harrison Quality Meats, John Schiffel, who is our composting partner of Health Soil Compost, and Ben Kant of Metropolitan Farms. And then thank you to Life Creative and Chicago Votes and Christmas Cheer Foundation. <laughs>